0: Please be seated, friends, and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Reading in verse 19, and I'll read through verse 23 for us to set our context. Again, this is the Lord's word. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. And while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city, the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every, every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Says the Lord's word. If you bow with me, we'll ask the Lord's help. Again, our Father, we thank you for your word, both what we read concerning David, this king of righteousness, this king who would not establish his, his throne in, in false and deceitful ways through the deeds of flesh, but a man who would not raise his spear against King Saul, the Lord's anointed, but who waited upon you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you again that he is truly the king of righteousness, Uh, one who never sinned in thought, word, or deed, one who was tempted in all ways as we are and yet never sinned. Oh, Father, we thank you for our Savior. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your word and pray that you would bless its going forward now. And we pray, O Lord, that your blessing be upon these, your people, those who may hear from afar. We ask, O Lord, that your grace be upon us and that you will prepare us, equip us for the days at hand, that we would be, and indeed will be, faithful servants of yours. We give you all thanks now and commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we saw last week, Paul and Barnabas, especially Paul, were no longer held in esteem by the crowds. In Lystra remember that because of the man who was lame from birth, who was healed, Barnabas and Paul were esteemed as gods. The Lyconian people raised their voices, saying, "The gods have become like men and have come down to us." Most interesting passage. And the people wanted to worship them. Recall the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. And we are told that it was with great difficulty or with difficulty that they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. This attitude of adulation changed completely when Jews from Antioch and Iconium came to Lystra and won over the crowds. We talked about this, how how desperately, uh, uh, how hateful these Jews must have been because uh, Antioch was roughly 100 miles away. And you figure they, they hoofed it Right, A hundred miles driven, leaving away uh, family, leaving money behind, leaving jobs behind in order to come and to work their vengeance on Paul and Barnabas. And so, as we saw last week, they stoned Paul, and they dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And what we noted is, is that the apostles, and you and I, cannot avoid problems wherever we go and that whatever problems we encounter as a result of the gospel the lord will sustain us in one of two ways he will either bring us home as he did with stephen the first martyr or he will sustain us and bring us through the trial if we live to see another day as we see with the apostle paul we don't and we mustn't ever quit and that's the the lesson we see here from the example of Paul and Barnabas, it is important that the disciples witness Paul not walking away after being stoned. And I, some of it is speculation, I understand. It doesn't say this, but um, normally when danger arises and people are trying to stone and kill you, you go the opposite direction. <laughs> and the question in my mind was, well, why didn't he? And all I can figure is this, is that, His life wasn't dear to himself, but the people he was discipling was more, they were more dear to him, and he would risk his own life and set before them a faithful message of you don't back away, but you continue to press on, you continue to engage. He would say at the end, near the end of his life in in 2 Timothy 4, he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, the time of my departure has come I have fought the good fight I have finished the course I have kept the faith in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing What a wonderful example the apostle Paul was and what a what a model for us all Now, the apostle, as we move into this text, the apostle will move on from Lystra, but notice he doesn't quit the ministry. He doesn't quit the work the Lord has called him to, and we'll look into this a little bit. We see this at the end of verse 20. He says, the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So remember, he was stoned and left for dead, dragged out of the city, and he gets back up after the disciples have surrounded him, and he marches right back into the city. And then the very next day, Paul and Barnabas decide it's time to move on to Derby. They don't quit, but they do move on. Uh, The question, again, to me, and and a lot of this is, is, um, we're looking into the text, the question for me is why did they leave? Clearly, uh, for them, it was time to go. They left Iconium, we are told, and when an attempt was made, remember, this is Iconium now, When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe. They are not quitting the ministry, but must, for some reason, uh, believe it the best thing for the sake of the kingdom of God and for its advance to now leave Lystra. Those who had tried to kill the apostle were likely still in the city, if the apostle and Barnabas stayed in Lystra, no doubt they would have tried to kill them again. And it is uh, in keeping with the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, not kill, it's murder, because there is a just time to kill, but murder is always an unjust taking of life. In the larger catechism, there is an obligation where the command is in the positive, "You shall, or in the, here in the negative, you shall not murder. The positive is also taught, you are to preserve life. And so, while some would look at this and say, well, what's wrong with these people? Friends, it's never wrong to preserve your life, right? And it's certainly never wrong to preserve the life of someone else. That's why we speak up for these unborn children and hope that the Lord um, shuts abortion down in our country. So here, these men, um, they are leaving Lystra. They're going on their way, certainly because it's not wrong, uh, but certainly right to preserve their own lives. Paul would say this, and, and listen to this. This perhaps, Philippians one twenty one through 24, gives us uh, perhaps an insight into what is going through the apostles' mind and Barnabas's mind. Paul says here, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. It would seem that a decision would need to be made. Do we continue on in he- here in Lystra and risk death? Or do we move on in order to bring the gospel to others and live another day uh, in order to do so? Now, two, we must understand that there is a time for everything. There is a time to give birth, wrote Solomon, and a time to die a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. The Lord leads us in in this timing. For instance, here and in uh, verses five and six, and then in uh, chapter 13, verse 51 and following, we see that the apostles decide to leave. They decide it's time to go on. When they feel the threat, when they hear about the stoning and they're being driven out, they say it's time to go. And I'm really working on this, trying to get into their mind, like what's driving you? What's the principle here? by which we are called to live. And and so they're wrestling with this very thing. But then in Acts 20, verses 22 through 23, we read this. Paul again speaking. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So there's this wrestling that goes on. He has suffered stoning, and the very next day they decide to leave. He's not cowardly. It's not cowardice that's driving him. But it may have been just as practical as it's not time for me to die yet. So I need to get out of this city, and I need to go and be more fruitful somewhere else and bring my gifts to to bear upon these things. But these are things that the Lord impresses upon them. There are times that the apostle says it's time to go, and there are times he says... No, no, I need to go into the face of danger. The Holy Spirit's telling me that bonds and afflictions await me when I go to Jerusalem. Furthermore, we need to understand this, is that the church is not dependent upon Paul and Barnabas to thrive. That's hard to imagine. But the church is dependent upon the Lord, upon the word and spirit. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. For them it was time to go, time to preserve their lives, to further the kingdom elsewhere, and perhaps even to draw the fires of persecution away from this young church. And so they head to Derby. Derby itself was a city south southeasterly from Lystra, uh, about sixty miles away a uh, two- or three-days walk for Lystra. And we're told that while in Derby, uh, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel to the city and made many disciples. And in fact, it's believed that it's at this time that Timothy himself uh, comes to faith. Notice that what they focus upon is the supreme task of the church, and they don't stray from that supreme task. Jesus said again in Matthew chapter 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. It is what they did in Antioch. It is what they did in Iconium. It is what they did in Lystra. And here it is again what they have done in Derby. They preached the word and they made disciples. Again, notice this very thing. What's the thing that's constantly got them in trouble? preaching the word and making disciples it was initially in Acts chapter 13 it was the Jews when they saw the crowds they were jealous of these disciples it was jealousy how is it that they've gotten so effective in what they're doing and we've been sailing across the oceans to make one convert and we can't seem to get the job done it's because the gospel's good news <laughs> that's good news and this is what they do. Every place they go, they they commit themselves to the same things. And I wasn't I wasn't kidding this morning, uh, in the, in the report. What are the things that we should focus upon with all the turmoil and tumult that has been taking place? What are the things that suffer? It's the preaching. It's the discipling. These are the things that Satan, as I was pointing out this morning from Ephesians six, it's the very thing that the that Satan would love to stop. And if we pull back, then we've played into his hand. He's very shrewd, you see. <laughs> and we're not supposed to be ignorant of his schemes. He's very shrewd. And so we must, we must think, Lord, what would you have us do? But that's the very thing he would have. And he does it all the time. Church getting off into woke programs and doing this thing or that thing. And the gospel and the Bible, we close it up because, well, we don't want to offend people with these things. That's just what Satan would love us to do. It's not the thing we see modeled for us with these disciples. They get beat up, they get stoned, they get dragged out of the city, left for dead. They get up and go, well, onwards and upwards, (laughs) they keep marching. That's a wonderful example for us, not to be distracted from the things of the Lord. So they preached. This is to proclaim glad tidings, specifically to instruct men concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. My friends, the gospel transcends times and cultures. The message is good. It's a good word. Glad tidings, as it tells the sinner, caught like a bird in a net, that there is a way to have freedom, a way to find release, a way to be spared, to be redeemed. The sinner caught in his sin has no hope of escape uh, except he hope in Jesus Christ who came to restore, to secure peace with God on behalf of the sinner. Do you believe this? Because this is the gospel. And friends, it's that simple, right? We're always trying to figure out how do I explain it. If you can explain the gospel to a child, you can explain the gospel because it's that simple. It is it is that simple. Don't overthink it. And don't be intimidated in saying, I'm not smart enough or I'm not educated enough. Right? The kingdom of heaven is made for who? Who is fit for the kingdom of heaven? Unless you become like one of these little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul and Barnabas go and they preach the gospel. If you want to enter into 2024, and I hear some talk about, you know, well, outreach. Well, of course, outreach. Do you know what the best outreach program is in the whole church? It's you. It's you. And you ought to stop thinking that the pastor ought to come up with a program for outreach. I'm not not opposed to doing things as a church, but you are the best outreach in the church because you're a sinner going to tell another sinner where they find bread, the bread of life. It's that simple. And everyone's looking for a program to accomplish the work of God. Just be obedient servants. Start your days off saying, Lord, if you would have me today speak for you, open a door and grant me boldness to speak the word in faith. And trust him and see what he does. And then invite people to church. Invite, that's the power of God's word. You see, this is what's happening. As the word goes forward, what happens? Disciples are being made. I saw a very interesting meme. I don't know how truthful it is, but it was very interesting. It it certainly gave me cause for thought. And I ran, you tell a Christian, well, you're going to be baptized, and you'll probably, if you don't, uh, how was it? If you evangelize, um, we will uh, kill you, I think is what it was. And so the Iranian says, all right, well, I guess I better go evangelize. And in China, you tell them, you better not evangelize or we'll remove your organs and sell them on the black market. The Chinese man says, okay, then I better go evangelize. And they named one other place, and it was horrible. It was India. Tell these Christians, you know, stop your evangelization. And they say, well, if you do this, we will kill you and they say, well, we'll go and evangelize. And then there's the last one was the United States. You tell them, you better stop evangelizing because it's awkward, and they go, okay, we'll stop. There's always a grain of truth, right, to, to humor. But really, there is a great amount of truth to that, that we remain silent because we feel silly, we feel stupid, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And friends, you shouldn't be either. None of us should be ashamed of the gospel. Our God is a good God. He is kind and he is merciful to sinners. But he will judge the sinner at the end of time. And you can bet on that because he said he would. The gospel is good news. And so um, they preached Jesus Christ that he came, he lived, he died, he rose again and he came to this earth for this very purpose so that all who believe upon him will not perish but have everlasting life and be delivered from the judgment of hell that's the good news and that's what they preached but they did not merely preach the word but they made disciples as well we are called my friends not to merely make converts to get people say in the prayer but to call them to faith and to uh, faith and repentance be converted, and to teach them to observe all that the Lord has commanded. A disciple is a student, one who follows and learns the precepts and instructions of his teacher. These believers in Derby were taught, in word and deed, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what he wants of us, how we should think, our attitudes, and our behaviors. So many want to follow Jesus. Again, this is the American church. So many want to follow Jesus and say that they're believing in Jesus Christ and yet they hold on to their sin and they hold on to their sinful lifestyles but you can't and you mustn't because that's not a disciple. Paul and Barnabas were preaching and making disciples, followers, students, imitators of Jesus Christ. That's what they focused upon. Despite all of the hardships, notice they did not quit but they continue in the very fundamental work of preaching the gospel and of making disciples. Now we are told that it was after these things that they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I must say, I felt very convicted reading this verse. I felt very convicted, and you know why? because they drove them out of Antioch. They brushed the dust off their feet. And in Iconium, they were planning on stoning them. And in Lystra, they actually did stone stone Paul. And yet, they don't go back and lick their wounds. They don't look at themselves through the grid of self-pity. They go back and minister further to the saints in order that they might persevere in the faith. This is, a, this is a very powerful uh, message here. My friends understand that they went, they preach, they make disciples. in all of these places, there are significant numbers of disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, but they're young. And so what does Paul? what do Paul and Barnabas have in mind? They don't want to see these fledgling Christians fall by the wayside. You see. Well, if they had just been Calvinists, if they had just learned the moniker, once saved, always saved, then this would have solved everything, right? That's the problem with bumper sticker theology, is that you can never say what you need to say. Please don't say, once saved, always saved. That's a very misleading thing. It's very mechanical. It's almost like a fire insurance policy. Oh, I said the prayer. It's written in my Bible. So therefore, I know I'm going to heaven. No, what perseverance of the saints means that a man follows Jesus Christ in holiness all of his days. He doesn't walk away from Jesus and say, well, I said a prayer back in 19 so-and-so, and I haven't been to church in 100 years, but I'm saved. Really? And what evidence do you have that the life of God is streaming through your veins if you have no love for his church or for his truth, his word, or love to sing his praises? What is the reality? So notice this. They're concerned for the church. They're concerned for the church, and so they double back over the ground that has received the seed of the gospel, and there they go to strengthen the saints. My friends, there are many, again, professing Christians who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but they're no longer walking in holiness. They're not persevering in following Jesus Christ And this is exactly what persecution does. And notice it's in the context of persecution that they double back. Because persecution has a way of driving people away from the Lord to not own him any longer as a savior. Matthew 13, Jesus said this in verses 20 and 21. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And listen, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. That's what persecution is designed to do. In Revelation 2.10, we mentioned this this morning, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, do not fear what you are about to suffer behold the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulations for 10 days listen to what he says be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life Paul as he describes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15:1 through 4 and verses 1 and 2 he says this now I make known to you brethren the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if, hear that, conditional clause or conditional particle, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The person who is called of the Lord and saved perseveres. He holds on to the gospel. He stands on that word, and he's not taken away from it. It is life to him. Each of these churches, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, Derby, because they received Paul days after his stoning, um, all of these churches needed to be strengthened. They are fairly young in the faith. They are now facing pressures from old friends and acquaintances, from family members. The newness of the Christian gospel has worn off, perhaps. Perhaps they've had. Uh, in fighting in the church or there's been struggles perhaps they're second guessing everything hearing people say that way of Jesus is very narrow it's very fixed you're very fixated on this Jesus fellow it's just not wise none of our fathers ever did these things they received the looks the groans the mockings the belittlings the causing of second thoughts perhaps and Paul and Barnabas go over the ground, again, upon which the seed of the gospel was scattered in order to render the disciples more firm, more resolute, and what they would now be facing. They went in order to encourage them to come alongside them, to exhort them to continue in the faith, because persecution was there to drive them away from the faith. You see, that's a minister's job. That's why I feel ashamed we need to hang in there with the Lord my friends don't don't fall away because of the trials you see how many people say I'm not going back to church because I saw get this I saw sinners doing what sinners do I must admit I've, I've not um, the discouragements that I was thinking through this and I've Remembered a a time back in Jackson, Mississippi, where I was a pastor for maybe a couple of years, and my wife and I were awfully discouraged. (laughs) seems to be the way the warp and woof of our lives is discouragement. And we were out on a date, and I don't remember where we were, but I remember we stopped at this Arby's that we never went to Arby's ever. We were purely, strictly speaking, Mexican restaurant type of people. And we stopped at an Arby's. And we were very discouraged. And as I went to this Arby's for the only time, I think in the the time we lived down there, it was north of Jackson somewhere, a classmate of mine, an older fellow walked in, a classmate from seminary, an ordained minister. His name was Greg. He's with his wife. I hadn't seen him since seminary. It had been two or three years by now. And um, I never went to this Arby's, but that particular day I went to Arby's and Greg and his wife, walk in through the door, and they go, Hey, Phil, how's it going? And he goes, We sit down. And they sat down with us. And, uh, and I just poured my heart out because I thought, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know who to trust. And I have my wife, but I don't know who else I can trust to trust and, and, and speak to. He was like an angel from the Lord. I was thinking, Maybe it's time to quit. This thing, no one told me about this in seminary. <laughs> I mean, naively, I thought... That Honestly, if you could get up there and tell them a good story about Martin Luther and handle, handle the word of God faithfully, everyone's just going to love you. <laughs> Guess again. <laughs> it doesn't work this way. I was so discouraged. I was so discouraged. Uh, and my wife, I don't know if she remembers that event or not, but I was so discouraged. And he came alongside of me, an older, this older man, and he encouraged me in the Lord, and he also encouraged me in the Lord's calling. Reminding me, no, brother, you haven't misread the hand of providence. The Lord's watching over you. You will weather this, and you will get through this. Much in the same way that my brothers in the session continue to say, Bless you all. Young Christians, old Christians, ministers, and saints alike need to be encouraged to hold to the faith because at times it gets very difficult and it becomes very dark. And we fall into sin, we fall into doubts. They sweep over us, attacks from devils and foes and friends who might as well be foes. And we stumble and we lose our footing. That's the reality. They go back around to strengthen them so that they don't fall by the wayside. But of particular concern are the tribulations that come to us. He says here, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The word tribulation means oppression, affliction, distress, or distressing situations or straits. And I want you to notice that he does not say, the, uh, speak of, uh, through many tribulations you must enter, but he says, through many tribulations we must enter. We, the apostles included. And then notice this too. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Not through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God, but that we must enter the kingdom of God. We must go through hardships and must personally experience them to enter God's kingdom. Listen to this. This is a quote from Calvin, an excellent quote. He writes... But when, as God doth oftentimes spare the wicked and doth fat them with prosperity, he is more sharp and hard toward his children. For besides common molestations, they are oppressed peculiarly with many discommodities. And the Lord doth humble them with such exercises, keeping their flesh under correction, lest it wax wanton. He awaketh them, lest they lie sleeping upon earth. Unto, unto these are added the reproaches and slanders of the wicked, for they must be, as it were, the off-scourgings um, scur- scurrings of the world. Their simpleness is laughed at, but they use wicked mocks and scoffs principally against God. Last of all, the lust of the wicked breaketh out into open violence so that they have need to strive with many tribulations. And it cannot be but that all their life shall be envied and unquieted amidst so many enemies. But this is the best comfort and which is sufficient enough to confirm their minds that this way, though it be hard and sharp, leadeth unto the kingdom of heaven. For we gather by this that the miseries of the godly are more happy than be all the doting dainties and delights of the world. The Lord, friends, what they are saying, in other words, is that not just that we might, as Christians, endure or enter into hardships, not that there's a likelihood that you will enter into hardships and and endure some kind of persecution, but that you must. In order to be fit for heaven, you must go through these things. And it is how the Lord trains us and prepares us to enter into his kingdom. That doesn't square with the American gospel. Maybe that's why people flee the church so quickly when there are problems. We must go through these tribulations. I'll show you another. If you would turn with me to First Thessalonians 3 and listen to this. Paul says it as plain as day. First Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. My friends, it's not that these things, these tribulations are bound to happen or happen upon us by chance, but we are ordained to enter into these things. The things, while difficult, are the things that the Lord has called us into to prepare us for heaven. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. So listen to this, Romans 5, 3, and 4. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. Again, James, who writes in chapter 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I go back to these churches to encourage them because persecution was happening to them and they needed to understand everything's okay. It's exactly as it should be. This is what we must go through. This is the refiner's fire for us and producing in us that proven character in in order to to build up hope in us. But if you fall away, what you demonstrate is, is that the Spirit of God never truly dwelt within you. And your faith, which you say you owned, is a sham and it's empty. These saints needed to understand that there was nothing going wrong In their situation but all was going just as it should be going just as the Lord had designed it to work one more passage Hebrews 10 uh, verses 32 through 39 if you would listen to this you start seeing all these verses about suffering and all these verses about tribulation just jumping off the page and their importance in our lives listen to this again uh, Hebrews 10 32 through 39 But remember the former days when, after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. That's what they're telling these churches. That's what they're telling these young Christians. Don't shrink back. Don't become timid. Don't be afraid. Don't quit. But hold fast and continue in the work which the Lord has called you to do. Continue in it. My friends, this is what the Lord's message is to us. All of the hardships and you want to distance yourself from all of this stuff. Ah, listen. Listen. That would be the absolutely wrong thing for us to do. The right thing to do, be in the word, be in prayer, show up on Sunday, show up on Wednesday nights, worship our God because he's worthy to be worshipped, and tell people about Jesus Christ and his love for the sinner. Don't hold back. Don't grow weary. The day when it comes that there are men with guns outside our church, when they're threatening and they drag my keister out of here, Right, Someone else stands up and says, let's, let's open the scriptures and let's hear the word of the Lord. And you continue to do it and you do it until Jesus Christ returns to take us home. That's what we do. That's what we do. Friends, would you bow with me? Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for this night and for this wonderful passage of scripture. We pray that our souls would be encouraged and strengthened and that our, our feeble hands and, and feeble uh, feet would be strengthened as we understand, Lord, that it is not something that can be avoided. Honestly, it's what we go through in this life, tribulations. We must go through them in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Father, you are wise and you are good, and we know this, and yet your providence sometimes smarts and smarts greatly. We ask, O Lord, that you would strengthen and encourage our hearts, that we would not be like those who shrink away, shrink back towards destruction, for we know that you take no pleasure in those, but we would be those, Father, who persevere and endure until the end. Grant us your grace, we pray, uh, to this end. Again we thank you for your faithfulness to us, and we pray it all in Jesus' name, Amen.